Anyway, you ready? I'm ready. What's up, guys, and welcome back to another 25 Foot High podcast. Um, I got Zach playing on his phone right now. I'm not playing ready. on my phone. I'm getting ready for the podcast. Get, getting ready for the podcast. Well, first off, we'd like to start this by thanking um, Threads Custom Bowstrings. Threads Custom Bowstrings. Look them up on Facebook or check out their website. It's Threads with a Z, right? Yeah, Threads with a Z. And uh, you should be able to see the banner in front. That I don't know how to how type. To a, I don't know how to type a red Z, but the Z is red on the banner. Yeah, don't don't. It's not thread red Z dot com. It's, it's just threads custom bowstrings all together. I mean, probably if you if you googled it with an S, it'd come up. Probably. I haven't tried it, but I'd assume. Um, next up is Native Sense. Uh, check out Native Sense at nativesensellc.com. If you type in just Native Sense, it's going to come up with. Uh, oh, thanks. You smell that? Yeah. It smells, smells like. like it smells like I just walked through the forest. Um, nativesensellc.com. Uh, and then us. Uh, check out the link below and get your own 25 high hat or decal. Uh, yep, these on top of our head. If you're just listening to this, then um, just check it out below and get you a hat. And we'll send it straight from us. We handle every bit of the work that gets done to produce these hats. So, um, besides stitching, I'm not that talented. I have a, we have a really good friend that does the stitching for us. So, embroidery. check them out. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, embroidery is just a fancy word for Stitches. letter stitching or something, yeah. I think. I don't know. But today, uh, we are going, we're eventually going to work in, we're going over, I think it's, 20 or 25 questions the the link says 25 um basically it's 25 questions that are asked from uh hunters or new hunters and i found this on was it alabamaoutdoors.com the link outdoorlife.com outdoorlife.com um so some of these questions are like super legit and they like there's stuff that new or even somewhat experienced hunters would have questions about some of them are kind of funny. I've only skimmed through a few of them, so I don't really know what to. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't fully know what to expect because, like I said, I skimmed through some of them, most of them, and read a few of them. But like I say, some are legit, some are kind of funny. You know, something that a new hunter might not know, but we might find it funny. And some of you guys, you know, more experienced hunters might find it pretty funny. Yeah, and um, like I said, I had went through them. So in this link. Uh, we're not going to link it down below. If you want to find it, just that's outdoor life. Just Google questions or hunting questions. Like or top hunting questions. Top hunting questions. Uh, it should come up. Um, we Some of them are what experienced hunters would call crazy or ignorant. Yeah. Um, not in a bad way. Ignorant, not a, just, no. Just like literally you don't know. Yeah, you don't know. There's nothing wrong with not knowing, but you know us it's like we get a little chuckle out of it because yeah. we've been knowing most of this since we've been hunting all of our lives but there's nothing wrong with asking these questions feel free to ask more questions in the comments down below if you have any we'll we'll do a q and a you know go through questions and uh, fill them out so 
we're gonna get started with it now on this link hey, there's a question ahead. there's a question and then somebody uh, it depends on the question different people from that website answers it we're not gonna go through all of their answers we're not gonna read all of their answers um, yeah. I feel like we'll cover some of their stuff just by our, just by us talking, but yeah. we're not. We're just gonna read the questions and then we're gonna bounce off, you know what what we think. So speaking of new hunters, watch this transition. This is gonna be a decent transition. You messed it up by talking about the transition. That's kind of the point, though. Yeah. Speaking of new hunters, some a different type of hunting that I am new to is foraging for mushrooms oh god <laughs> so i did the my, i found my first morels in washington state in the eastern like fairly close to canada fairly close to idaho uh eastern washington we were turkey hunting i think i filmed a little bit about it we ended up cooking them up and it is one thing about morels it is it is super super easy to identify morels and i I don't believe there's any lookalikes in at least most of America. I, I could be wrong. And the lookalikes are super easy to identify as not morels. But um, today, or the other day actually, I was walking around in my backyard and I saw some bright yellow mushrooms. And it just sort of popped in my head. I wonder if those are chanterelles. And then I just didn't think about it. And I went back out today. And I went and did some exploring, did a ton of research. I, I've sat, I've been on my phone about my screen time probably went average probably went up today because I was I've been on my phone like constantly like looking up how to identify chanterelles versus like false chanterelles or jack lanterns or something else. Uh, something else. First off, it's fairly easy to identify chanterelles, although I'm still not 100 percent sure. But the only two lookalikes in our area. Cade's like, oh, you're going to die if you eat those. My parents are like, oh, you're going to die if you eat those. Well, first off, the two lookalikes, one of them, the only bad thing that happens if you eat them is they don't taste good. Perfectly fine to eat. They just taste super bitter. That's one of the lookalikes. No negative side effects. The other lookalike, guess what it, guess what it does? Uh, I know. It gives you cramps and diarrhea. So... That's enough for me. I mean, that's enough for me not to want to eat it, but you're not going to die. It's going to be an, an evening of being uncomfortable. And also, the lookalikes don't really look that much like it. So I am, I'm going to do some further research and further testing to make sure they're safe, just to be 100% sure. But I'm super excited if I have a legit big chanterelle patch in my backyard dude that would be so awesome so one or two things is i mean one of three things is going to happen when you try these mushrooms one you're they're going to be fine you're going to eat them they may taste all right they may taste good number two you're going to have the goes or the runs all afternoon <laughs> Or number three is a unlikely possibility, but still possible. You're going to go on a heck of a spiritual journey. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 see, yeah, that, I guess it's technically possible, but none of the lookalikes and even Chantrell, none of them. Well, I did read one report where one, the lookalike that only tastes bitter and that's only a negative side effect. I've heard that if you are in my research, somebody said that there are reports where people ate large quantities of them. 
and did experience hallucinations, but I'm not going to eat large quantities. I'm going to eat like like a quarter of one. Like I've got this little pan. Have you seen those little pans that are like they're like this big and they're made to like cook one egg? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I'm going to cook like a quarter of one of those mushrooms in there if I find out they're safe. Just to be 100% sure. Because I did a lot of research. Like I say, I'm going to cook like a quarter of it and then eat that. And first off, if it tastes bad, of course I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat anything that's nasty. And then if like it tastes all right, but then I give it an hour or two and I'm on the toilet for an hour or two, then I'm not going to eat the rest of them. <laughs> but then if they taste good, which I mean, I got to bust them open because the, the meat's supposed to be like cream colored, white colored on the inside. They're not supposed to be hollow and they are supposed to smell kind of like apricot. So I feel pretty, I feel pretty well with my judgment as soon as I crack them open, see what they, see what it looks next like. Thing I, like. Next thing I know, I'm going to be getting a bunch of like random Snapchats and stuff from you. And then I'm going to come check on you by driving up to your house. And I'm going to see you out, outside sitting on a log with nothing on but underwear and a hair tie around your head <laughs> by, by a fire. And you're just sitting there rocking back and forth, just... And then I'm like, Cade, with it. <laughs> Cade, don't come close to the... There's no fire, by the way. Don't come close to the fire. There's a dragon. <laughs> I, uh, no, I highly, highly doubt that's going to happen. Y'all wouldn't ever see it, but I would record it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's one thing. Don't, eat, don't ever eat a mushroom unless like you're 100% sure that it's safe to eat. So... I'm like 99 at this point. Hopefully, here before long, I'll I'll be 100 percent sure, and I will report back on my experience. Yeah, safe bet. Just stick to your mushrooms that you buy at the grocery store, like your portobellas. See, I don't and like the white ones. Uh, portobellas are awesome. I don't, I don't. I'm not a big fan of like mushrooms, but morels. We cooked them horribly. Like our butter was just barely melted. Yeah, it, and that's the reason you didn't like them because you didn't cook them. No, the morels were good. They ta- the flavor was awesome. They just taste like butter and flour. Yes, we, you know we why? put flour you, and cooked them in butter. You put flour on. You're supposed to fry morels. Yeah. Nah, you sauté them. Well, yeah, you sauté them, but you batter then sauté. Nah. That's what. That's what all the Midwesterners do. If there's any Midwesterners listening, comment that down below. What's your they, What's your mushroom recipe? There's uh there's morels as far south as like North Alabama, but they're a lot more rare. Yeah. I've never tried one. I really want to though. I that one time of the year, spring, I see on all my you know, yep. Instagram feeds, everybody that I know from up there is out collecting them. I'm like, yeah, you you're such a jerk. Like yeah. I want, I want some. Send me some, but they're so hard to get. And it's like, it's like the uh, you'll see on like companies and stuff, or like just big names, or even like on Facebook groups, like turkey hunting Facebook groups. Some dude will have a big old tom out there with a fan, and then it'll just be like piles of morels around it, and you're just like so jealous because not only did they kill a turkey, they found like ten pounds of morels, and you're like, dude, come on, why can't we get those? <laughs> yeah, but but I do want to get more into like into foraging. Like I've obviously being from the south, I'm, I'm sure you're the same way. You've picked those huckleberries in the woods and uh, probably bullises. Have you ever eat, eaten a wild bullis? Probably. The little grapes that look like a scuffing on, but they're purple and they grow wild. Yeah. I've eaten a handful of those and then blackberries. 
or dewberry. Well, there's dewberries and blackberries. But. Zach's not a very good hunter, so he hasn't learned how to become a gatherer. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's why they're called hunter gatherers because they do both. I do both. I may not kill, but I'm a hunter and I can gather stuff. Well, I hopefully will. But no, in the south, I was reading one thing uh, where now I definitely want to go like go out with a legit forager someone who really knows what they're doing and like see what all they pick which i'm probably not gonna retain all the information and all the stuff i might not like some of the stuff that's out there but i do want to go out because like in the south you can pretty much find edible mushrooms and edible plants year round i did i did make contact with a um he's he's one of the bigger uh like I'm trying to find a way to describe his job. He is a forester, and his his primary thing is native wildlife. Mm-hmm. And I made contact with him. He's from northern Alabama. I'm not going to talk about his name right now. because, And um, I did make contact with him, told him if he's ever in southern Alabama, we need to get together and make a podcast. So, and he said, sure thing, I'll let you know. So, they probably would not. I mean, uh, hopefully that becomes something we do in the future. I just, just you know, yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to demand or ask people to drive all the way down here for a two, uh, an hour or two hour podcast. So. Yeah, but also a video where we go out and I remember Meat Eater did a podcast where the first half of it, they had like mics, like the lapel mics or whatever, mm-hmm. and they walked around for like forty five minutes or an hour, pit, like foraging in like some stream bed in montana or something and they picked like all sorts of stuff like it was stuff that i knew about that i had no idea you could eat and like i've I've, i'm sure everybody's heard of people eating dandelions i've never done that they like pick dandelions how hungry i'd have to be to eat a dandelion apparently they're good i don't know it's not my first choice Nah. I'm not a big fan of greens anyway. But. I would be. I might be hungry to eat a dandelion. <laughs> yeah, but either way, they they did like a 45 or an hour long podcast where they walked around, and then like the second half of the podcast was like an hour where they sat down and talked about what they gathered, other local stuff, and I don't know. It was it was pretty cool. We might do like a video if we can. Yeah, I saw Bear Grylls uh eating bark off of a tree. So yeah, Bear Grylls also drinks urine. Yeah, I mean I you can't you can't do it once. I think in a certain period of time. No, literally every single true survival expert says not to do that. Yeah, I wouldn't do it unless I was about to die. It'll make you die faster. Yeah, salt. There's well, a lot of salt. It depends if I have ceram wrap or a pot. Oh yeah, so, I mean you could distill it out. I'd, yeah. I'd 100 percent distill it. <laughs> it like or like clean it out. Like that's what they do on the on the International Space Station. They have like a charcoal filter where you you like your you go to the bathroom and then it filters it all out. Yeah. So I was and turns it into water. Talking about drinking water. Funny. I uh I saw it. I was skimming through TikTok. I saw a video of a guy that was talking about survival, and he said one of the ultimate survival tools that he keeps in his pack is a tampon. For plugging up like bad wounds. So plugging up bad wounds. You know what? You know. Side note. You know what tampons were originally invented for? Mm. I think it was either World War One or World War Two, somewhere around in there. I think. 
they were originally designed to plug bullet holes. Yeah. So that was one of them they talked about. But you can plug other ones with, so like if yeah, you fall on a sharp stick or something. Yeah. But uh, or if you get shot. That he he did it for that. Also, since it's cotton, a fire starter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then another thing was that you could break off the top half and the bottom half of it. Now he said you still run the risk of getting sick by bacteria, but you can stick it down in, into the water and kind of suck water through it like a live straw. They get all the dirt and grime and stuff out of it, but yeah. if, if it's it not, if it's a bacterial free like running water, you ought to be fine. Yeah, I mean but, there's still like Giardia and stuff. Yeah, but, but I mean if you're about to die, you can I would definitely take that risk if I was about if you, to die. If you somehow knew that you had like a day like let's throw out a random example which is totally hypothetical you're in alaska and you run you pack 14 days of supplies and you know you're going to be there for 12 days and then you have really bad weather on the 12th day the 13th day the 14th day and the 15th day well you're out of supplies then and the planes can't fly in bad weather I mean, you could do that in a little stream near camp, and you'd be fine because you know that they're going to come soon. And also, most of Alaska—I don't know all of Alaska, but most of Alaska—is high enough, like in like latitude or whatever, that like there's not near as many like bacteria stuff. Yeah, I would, like Florida swamps. I do. I wouldn't use anything less than a life straw to drink straight from it. I, I that's what I was about to say. Is like I would much rather do that for a. Uh, up north, uh, further you go up north, safer I feel about drinking the water. Oh yeah, for like, sure. But um, I would not want to do that in our local waters. No, I mean, I've drank. I, I grew up in creeks, dude. In the summer, I've I've hundred percent drank probably gallons of water out of our out of like those sandy creeks. Yeah, I have to. I ain't no doubt. And I also, can't jump in the water. I, you know how much chlorine I drank by swimming in the pool. <laughs> yeah, and you also like. Water hoses, they're supposed to be real bad for you or whatever. Oh, yeah. I've drank gallons and gallons throughout my whole life. Like, you're out, you're working in your yard or whatever, cutting grass, weed eating or whatever, and you got to wash off something. When I was... You just take the hose, you take the top off and just... When I was little, I would just drink out of the hose just so I didn't have to go back inside. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was thirsty. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But... And we turned out decent. Yeah, I, <laughs> I believe that may be what's wrong with us, though. Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. Drink out the water hose if you're on a risk. But I'm sure if you're watching I mean, this, you've drank out of a water hose before. Sometimes a water hose is a very clean option. Yeah, compared to what's right. I mean, yeah. it builds your immune system, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's something that could come in handy these days. <laughs> so. So do or do not just don't do it because we said to. You want to get into some of these questions? Yeah, um, fire away with that first one. All right, so this one it, it's something I'm pretty interested in because I like guns. I'm sure you like guns too. I know you like guns. Yeah, I know a lot of you guys watching like guns. So first question I have, which I don't know if your order is different. I don't know. I, I whatever order it don't matter. So it says after I clean my rifle, it takes about three shots for it to settle in. Is leaving a small amount of oil from the last patch and the barrel caused the gun to string shots. Should I dry patch as the last step? So, first off, yes. 
always I always you know in muzzle loaders and like stuff that runs real dirty even like a 22 even like you sometimes want to leave oil in the barrel because it this the gunpowder is a very strong corrosive and you don't want your barrel to corrode however like what what he might be talking about he may be cleaning it too well or yeah or too often really. yeah because like i know and I, I listened i overheard a conversation with an actual navy seal in a gun store talking to the gun store like the clerk or whatever and the navy seal he was saying like to never use a wire brush unless the fouling in the barrel is really really bad and this is something i've experienced like you t people talk about breaking in a gun a lot of times there's like micro abrasions left from like the machining process or whatever and firing a few rounds through there, the copper will fill up those abrasions, create a much smoother surface for the bullet to, to slide on. And it will actually, after, you know, it could be five rounds, it could be 100 rounds for it to fill up those gaps and maybe grind off like some little burrs in there or something. And that copper fouling plus just sending bullets through the barrel will really, really smooth out the barrel. And then you go back in with a wire brush and copper solvent and you ha you completely take your you take your broken in solid sub moa barrel and turn it back into a factory basically factory settings yeah if is an easy way to say it and so that's that's one thing i've done a lot is just avoid a wire brush unless like i'm shooting it's shooting good my gun's shooting good my gun's shooting good and then all of a sudden it starts kind of going stringing shots and stuff you know yeah, of which I, you know, and this may be bad or it may be right. I don't know. It's just the way I do it, you know, with my hunting hunting rifle especially. I if I'm if well if I take a, a different gun to the range and shoot a lot, I bring it home and clean it. But with my hunting rifle, I only clean it once a year. Yeah, I I clean it after hunting season every year because it goes from you being used hunting to sit in a safe for six or eight months whatever yeah. so i uh i clean it at the end of every hunting season now that would change if i dropped it and got mud or something in the barrel but and i, I never i have never ran a steel or a, what it was it copper wire bro brush wire brush brass is it, is it brass or usually copper? brass because they're softer than yeah it's softer than the metal the barrel's metal to and I, I've never ran that down. And I just run a bunch of, uh, I run like five or six oil patches, clean oil patches through it. Yeah. And then about two or three dry patches. Yeah. And like, you're not shooting a hunting rifle 150 rounds on a range day no. every other weekend. Unless something happens, I have to go back and reside it in. I shoot my hunting rifle like three, four times a year, maybe. Yeah. So like your your rifle like it certainly can build up like gunpowder residue and uh, whatever else even like brass fouling in the chamber can can mess up a gun from time to time but uh, for the most part like you do need to clean out the gunpowder out of the barrel like the residue and stuff but as far as like the copper fouling and stuff that that doesn't really matter as mu it actually helps the gun in a lot of cases but leaving some oil in there 
it, it's it's good if you're storing the rifle, leaving the oil in the barrel is good if if you're if this rifle is going straight to the safe and sitting. But if you're going straight from cleaning to the woods, you might want to run some dry patches through there and get that oil residue out of there. A few. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, having a little oil on a gun's good, but not in the barrel where your bullet's running down when you're shooting. Yeah. I mean, even a little bit of oil might be okay, but it's hard to know. It's going to get burnt up within the first couple shots anyway. Yeah, like if you're going to a range, yeah. Yeah. And that's a, another thing, like, a hunting rifle is usually set up to shoot, well, 99.9% of hunting rifles should be set up to shoot a cold barrel. Yes. Like, that's like an AR. A lot of times, they don't group until you get the barrel hot. Because that's, they're to- designed totally different. They're more of a combat gun. They're designed, you know, to constantly shoot. Mm. You know, and a, a deer rifle is made to shoot on the best case scenario, shoot one time every, you know, couple weeks. Worst case scenario, twice in a row. You yeah, know and I mean? your barrel's not hot after two yeah. shots. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason. Like, when I go sight in my hunting rifle, I, I'll shoot it once and then wait like five or 10 minutes yeah. and then shoot it again. Yeah. I, I won't, if, yeah, faster you shoot it back to back, less. I mean, you're basically wasting ammo at that point. I did see a video one time that was pretty cool. This dude, uh, he was using, he was trying to get the farthest recorded hit with iron sights. He had like this old like sniper rifle of some sort, and he had it with with iron sights, and he kept a boar snake in a in an ice chest. And he'd shoot like 25 shots and miss every time because his iron sights are like 1,500 yards. And then he'd take the frozen boar snake and run it down the barrel and then sit the uh, the gun like on top of the cooler, like on the almost in the cooler to cool it off. That sounds like a good way to make metal break. It's not as bad as... I mean, it wasn't like a frozen boar snake. It was just cooler than the air outside. I, yeah, I know, but still. Yeah. Cooling down that metal real, uh, fast isn't good for it. It's not as bad as glass, though. Not near as bad. I know, but it's still. It may warp the metal a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. But he hit it. He After, like, 40-something shots, he hit steel at, like, I, I want to say it was, like, 1,700 yards. I don't know. That video is probably on YouTube somewhere. That's a lot. It's long distance. Next question. Yeah. Am I in charge of the questions? Sure. Okay. So, next question. My mom grounded me today because I'm apparently too obsessed with hunting and need to focus on other things like schoolwork, even though my lowest grade in school is an 89. She thinks all I worry about is hunting. Even though I love hunting, I do have a life beside it, but apparently I'm not supposed to do what I love. I'd say he's doing a really good job if his lowest grade is 89. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I totally, I am. I feel this guy, he is like... Me and him might be the same person, except his grades are better. <laughs> yeah, I was say, and D's get degrees. Yeah, well, C's, <laughs> C's nowadays because well, D's get you kicked out of the program. Okay, that well, C, uh, well, C's, <laughs> C's get degrees. You know what? That's all I need. Yeah, and whatever it takes to pass. They don't look at, they don't look at um, at grade averages when they go. All they look at is diplo- uh, diplomas when they're yeah, pretty guy. much when you get a job. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I don't know. 
like i just thought that was kind of funny but um i definitely feel the same way i get so obsessed with hunting during hunting season but you just got to find time to do your schoolwork. You can ask my parents. I was always a better kid during during hunting season. I didn't want to. I didn't want to get that right taken away from me. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> so, I used to be a little trouble troublemaker in school. Oh, I bet you were bad. I went to the principal almost every single day of first grade. Oh, first grade. Yeah, but anyway, I kind of got better through the years, and I knew, figured out how to get away with stuff better. And uh. <laughs> I think it was fifth or sixth grade. Might have been fourth. Doesn't matter. My dad got gator tags. And he, so he said, it was like one of the last weekends of season. And he was like, all right, we're going out with this guy. He kind of knows what he's doing. And if you go the next, if you go this week without getting a referral, then we'll, uh, you can go gator hunting with me. I had to go a full week without acting up. And I got a referral for doing something. I didn't even, I don't even know what it was, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't my fault. It never is. Well no, I mean a lot of times it was. <laughs> this time it legitimately was not my fault. And it was like I don't know, some I tackled some kid in football and he messed up his shirt or something. I don't know what it was. It's like you're playing tackle football, dude. We were playing ta- flag football, and I tackled him, I think. I, that may have been it. That, that's it. That's it. That may have been that's, it. I don't even remember. That's against the rules. <sighs> Whatever. And <laughs> anyway. I mean, he probably deserved it, but still, it's against the rules. Yeah. Flag anyway, football is yeah, one of the worst things to go, that ever happened to this country. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to go gator hunting. And my mom, she was like, she knew that like what I did was not that wrong, so she was going to hide it from him. And then I was telling my dad a different story that happened during the same football game. And my mom ratted me out. It was rough. And I didn't get to get it, go gator hunting. But they didn't kill a gator, so I was it wasn't as bad as that as it could have been. Moms are really bad at ratting people out. Yeah, and she was gonna hide it. She was like down to hide it with me, like hide it from my dad. And because she knew I I was not necessarily that wrong. Like what whatever I did, it wasn't that bad. It was just bad enough to get a referral. And yeah, and I was telling my dad a different story that happened during the same football game, and she didn't let me finish. And then she was like, "Oh, I thought we weren't telling him." And I was like, "I wasn't telling him." And, she, and my dad, of course, my dad, of course, was like, "Tell me what?" <laughs> and then we had to tell him then. Yeah. But uh, what's next? This is kind of a weird one. If you don't remove the windpipe when field dressing, will it spoil your meat? I wouldn't think so. I mean, I mean, obviously I after enough depends. time. I don't think the windpipe is a part that really rots that bad. It's not gonna. I don't know. Isn't it mostly cartilage? Yeah, it is. And yeah. I that just seems like a weird question, but I know in uh, in like Europe and stuff, when they like field dress a deer, they don't cut they don't cut past the uh, diaphragm. They leave the lungs and the heart and everything up there intact until they get it back to camp and clean it then. It's like an old ritual or something. Hmm. Yeah. I I wouldn't. I mean, I think you would have to get a specialist on decaying animals. All I know is almost, well, almost every deer I've killed 
I've brought back to the skin and shed as fast as possible and just completely processed it. I mean, I've, gutted, I cer- I've certainly gutted some deer, and I try to get everything out, you know. But I have never field dressed a deer. You never like gutted one? No, like the, I've never gutted one before hanging it up to skin it. I've never like I've never shot one then gutted. I I just I mean, don't know what. I think long as you clean it within four hours or so, four five yeah. hours it ought to be fine I just, I just don't know what situation you would be in where you leave the windpipe in long enough that you would have that that would be the the thing that caused something bad to happen to you no, i think there's too many other variables it's, before that would be a problem it rots in the in the bones like the rot starts in the bones yeah most of the time and you gotta like like because like i'm thinking like if you're out west and you're 10 miles deep you're cutting up, you're deboning the animal in the woods and packing it out. You got to let the air flow around it to cool the meat down. But then, if like if you're in the in pretty much anywhere else, you pretty much bring the whole deer back. You may gut it in the woods, depending on the situation, and then bring it back. But the windpipe—that just seems like a weird question. Yeah, I've never heard that question okay, before. Next question. If I can get it open. Can deer smell the difference between human urine and their own? No. 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 I, every, almost every mock scrape that I'm, or every time I freshen up an existing scrape, usually I pee in it. And then I'll spray some native scents. Uh, Well, if it's pre-rut, like, you know, that late December, early January scrapes, I'll pee in it and then spray some uh, deception like around, like on the tree and on the ground, like outside of the scrape sometimes. No, I do not believe they can distinguish the difference between. The only way they can distinguish the difference is between non estrus urine and estrus urine or non rut urine and rut urine. Yeah, because like that's the, it's I, gland sense. That's gland that sense. If, it's, if there's no gland scent. It's just urine after a few smells minutes, like urine smells like urine. Yeah, after a few minutes, it's mostly ammonia. Unless you've been been eating a lot of asparagus. <laughs> yeah, but no, for real, I I I have I have peed out of shooting houses and out of tree stands and out of climbers while deer were in front of me. So it's not that sense not going to affect them at all. So go ahead and yeah i mean I, I don't think it has any effect i think like if like anything I, say, I think it may i think it makes them think there's another animal in that, another deer or something in that area because yeah, i've got videos of good good bucks hitting scrapes like a day or two after i peed in a scrape i'll be honest with you i mean and me and you done like we've done this i i did it on your club we were at the we were uh, we were scouting or basically walking into an area on his club checking a camera or something and there was a scrape so i peed in the scrape and then i peed there it was, uh, it was pretty it was interesting the, there was two scrapes side by side like big scrapes k peed in one and then stepped away i set up the camera and then i turned around and peed in the other one yeah and that really deer came thing. and checked it right like that night that night like out or just a couple there were two hours. different books i think that night yeah and so and here's another story so you hunting season before last you uh, you were with us mm-hmm. on my lease that day we were we went down to look at some sign um and on the edges of one of our food plots 
and we found this big scrape that a buck had just recently the center been of the scrape to, was the, still wet the center of the scrape was still wet so i so i peed on it and I, did you do it too? yep and then he peed on it and then the next day i went back and checked that same scrape and it had been re-scraped and peed on right before I went and checked on it. And that buck came and checked that scrape three days in a row. Did anybody kill that deer? I don't know. I never seen the deer that was doing it. I don't know if it was a little buck or a big buck, but he was he was constantly in there. Yeah, he got real mad. He thought there was two other folks. Yeah, he was mad. Like he was like, This is <laughs> my hood right here. So question number I don't know how many. I was in my stand today, saw what looked like a doe at a distance, heard and saw her snort. Can they do that, or was it a button buck? Yes. Can does snort? Yeah. That this is this is one of those one of the funnier yeah. ones because like this dude may have only watched like hunting shows and only seen like the snort wheeze, like from like Michael Waddell or somebody. And if I'm not mistaken, does can do that too. I think they can. I just know that every, almost every single time that I walk in the woods, the wind's not, like, well, it's very common for me to walk in the woods and at some point hear that shh, 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 somewhere. A lot of times, you know, you spook a doe and they blow about 47 times. Yeah. So, yeah, does can blow. (laughs) Sometimes, they can, they can, a doe can make pretty much any sound that a buck does i mean i've had a dope sit there and blow at me so long that i started blowing back at her just so hopefully i'd scare her off and get her out of there yeah she was sitting there and she's it was bow hunting those were legal she was sitting just outside her range like i mean she was at like 55 yards i could have taken shot but you're not going to hit them alert at one of their alert at 55 yards yeah, it's, that's so not that's a, that's a stupid shot, is what it is. Yeah. And that doe is sitting there going, whoo, whoo, stomping her, stomping her foot, stomping her foot. I'm getting so mad, so mad, and so I just start going whoo, whoo, back at her, and she was looking up at me, and we were just going back and forth there for a little bit, and then she just trotted off. So I got an interesting similar story. Uh, so one thing I started doing last year is, like, the last 50, 100, 150 yards to where I'm going to set up, I'll, like, just really, really slow down and start sneaking. And I had a doe. I busted a doe. I, I, it had to have been out of her bed because as slow as I was walking, like, I was I was making as little noise as possible. Like, I broke a branch and sat there and for, like, three minutes, four minutes, something like that. And then I just started easing along after that, you know, that type of thing. And I get, I was sitting still looking for a tree. I took another step and accidentally, like, almost tripped over, like, a little yopon or gallberry or something. And then she jumped up, like, 15 yards from me and blew. And then she ran off and blew again. And I just blew back at her, like, twice. And then that was it. I didn't, I heard, I... I heard her, like, obviously jump up, blow, and take off, and blow again. And then after I blew at her a couple times, I heard, like, like, just slow walking instead of, like, running. 
and then I eased on into my tree, and it took me probably 20 minutes to get set up in the tree, not because it was like a difficult tree or anything. Trying to be, be extra quiet. I was being super quiet. Like I, That was the quietest I've ever climbed a pine tree in my life. And about the time I hung my camera on the tree, which is usually my last step, yeah. I hung my camera up and got it situated in, the, in my camera arm, and I turned it on, and I was about to film my intro, and I heard something walking. I looked to my right exactly where that I had spooked that doe from, and she's standing there looking around, and she walks kind of behind me, dead downwind of me, and that's when she smelled me. But uh, she didn't, or not, no, she never walked behind me. She just walked back to check out the situation and then kind of just eased off when she when she didn't see anything. I feel like that was just as spooky as if she would have seen me yeah. to her. So one thing I want to, a thing I want to point out, if you're hunting and a deer, a doe, especially if a doe busts you and starts blowing, even if she stands there and blows, for 20 or 30 minutes if it's it that's your hunt's not over after, after i mean i have seen does sit there and blow and do stuff like that while bucks were in front of me and the bucks a lot of the bucks know that a lot of the times these does are blowing artificially like they're they're, they're blowing for no high risk so just because a doe is blowing does not mean your hunt is over keep hunting and the only time it's really over is if you're in that last 20 minutes of hunting you know and, you, and it blows and that's likely to keep them from being anything uh, from anything new coming by you so you got the next question lined up i do i was uh i don't think we're gonna get to all of them so i was just kind of going through go some at them. go at them we'll make it quicker yeah all right what can you do to help draw deer to small pieces of land, fifty acres or less? Corn, 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 corn. corn. If it's not so, if it's not legal, uh, I'll read their answer because it's a very, it's a very good answer. So, deer need three things to survive: cover, or deer, three things to stay in an area. I would say, cover, food, and the water. Not, not the water's not one of them. No, I was going to say not overpressuring them. Yeah. Overpressuring them. So, like, if you, like, let's say it's, like, a fairly open woodlot and you, it's not legal to bait there. I would, 15, 20 acres or however big, plant a couple food plots and then in one corner of it that's, I would say, at least five acres or as much land as you can give up, basically, do some hinge cutting if if that's legal where you're at, which it should be if it's private land. Do some type of hinge cutting. Do some type of, like, build up some brush piles. Do something to create security cover if it's fairly open. If it's thick, then you don't really have to do anything. You just got to put – you you don't have to do anything for cover. You just got to put some food in there. Or, here's another off the wall, plant corn. Yeah and quote unquote not harvest it and then right there a hunting season cut it down cut down a little at the time bush hog it a little at the time yeah that's technically legal i think it's legal most places and yeah and most but uh yeah plant something that they really like soy diversity diversity yeah just 
diversity in food, diversity in like habitats. Like, uh, if you're this is one thing if you're looking to buy a small piece of land, and you want to know whether or not it'd be good to hunt, look for somewhere that already has oak trees and then a thicket or a swamp next. Like, even if it's not on the property, look at the nearby properties. Because if like a hundred yards off your property is a beautiful like thick nasty swamp or or just any type of thicket and then on your land is or the land you're, you want to buy is like covered in oaks on that same side or something along those lines or if you can you can put a food plot right there as close as you can possibly get to that thicket like that's a good good way to get them in and yeah. you just got to make sure you have what they ha- what they need because it, it says uh their answer is provide them with a preferred food source and good good cover. That's ex- pretty much what I say. Or that's I agree with that. All right. Next question. Just a curious question for all the bow hunters. What's your farthest kill shot with a bow? Mine's fifty. That's my furthest kill shot. Mine is. I've done that like four times. Exactly fifty yards. I can't break it. I want to say. 30, 32-ish, I think. And honestly, I don't recommend shooting much past 30-something if you if you can avoid it. What's your farthest you feel comfortable to with a, in, a, in the perfect scenario? My perfect scenario is 35, 40 yards. Love it. Okay, what's, my no, I'm saying what's, what's the farthest – you would feel comfortable shooting a bow in the perfect scenario. In the perfect scenario. Okay, let like, me describe my perfect scenario real okay. quick. My perfect scenario is sit, is sitting far as distance, long shot, and sitting on a food plot in a climber about 30 feet high, and there is either constant highway noise or airplane traffic above me or if you're in some areas a train going by to where there is background noise that deadens out the deer's hearing if if i have those and and a very calm deer yeah if deer's got to be like if if i have those things i'll i mean i practice out to 100 yards i'll shoot to say i'll i feel completely ethical shooting at a whitetail at 70 yards with the right situation farthest i feel is like 35 yeah um the but i i'm not gonna do that unless it's perfect yeah but i I, i'll shoot at 50 yards all all day at a deer i mean long as it's not super alert yeah i don't know i I've had bad experiences shooting pet. Like, 40 is a very difficult yardage for me. Just, I've had so many deer. I don't, I guess it's just part of it, at least, is my judgment on whether, on how calm the deer is. And also getting a little shooken up and stuff. I've had, I've lost some deer at between, like, 40 and 45. So, right now, I don't feel really comfortable shooting a deer much past about 35. No, I, I really like them close. I like them being closer, if but I can 35, 40 deer. yards is, you're right. I'm, for me, at least it, it's all, that's all depending on the person. But for me, I feel very comfortable. My comf, 
confident in my ability to clean uh, cleanly shoot those animals and I I don't you can get away with a lot more movement and noise at those distances so it actually in turn relaxes you a little bit because you can make more mistakes at that distance yourself far as your process of standing up or drawing back ranging it and stuff like that but it is really fun to shoot them up close to where all you hear is your bow go off and then that pop from hitting them like if i can get if i can get my bow drawn and them not still not know i'm there at like 12 yards that's my perfect scenario yeah like but that like it's it's kind of the same thing as like your perfect long shot scenario because you have to have something like wind or something or, or like is. a train to cover up the sound and then you got to be like i had that i had one deer a velvet buck on a small piece of property even it was over a pile of corn like when it's right five, four acres or something for it's i think it's about nine acres but, yeah, but you're about, only hunting like there's about seven seven or eight acres of woods and there's only about a quarter of an acre that you can actually hunt yeah because everything else is a thicket and uh either way velvet buck second day of bow season he come into 10 yards and he was facing me and i had to wait seven or eight minutes for him to calm down and when he finally calmed down that's when he turned broadside and i was what i should have done and what i knew i should have done and i didn't do was i should have drawn my bow and then i was in my saddle it was like one of my first hunts in the saddle i should have drawn my bow and then like eased around the tree because I knew I could get away with drawing my bow. But I tried to ease around the tree first and my leg slipped. Yeah. But he was like 10 yards. If if I could have gotten my bow drawn, I know for a fact that deer would have been dead because he was 10 yards away and he was calm it at is, that point. It is fun whenever you put every pin in your housing on them. Yeah, and you just know <laughs> just, they're going to die. It's like boom right there. So this is more of a question for you. Okay. How much of your deer meat do you donate? Uh, Not necessarily to like hunters for hungry, because like we don't have that around here. But yeah. just like to buddies or something. Oh, I'd say I give a fair amount away. I I I I keep more than I give away. Me too. Because we eat it every single day, almost like from deer burger yeah. to bag strap. To, I mean. We eat it every single day. We don't buy beef at all. Like unless we buy a steak here and there, we don't buy beef at all as far as burger and stuff. So we eat it. But I will say I give a lot away to family and friends by cooking it for them. That's what I was expecting uh, you to say cuz yeah. like his whole family, like your well, I your dad and you like at the camp or even at like Alabama football games yeah. or like just a anything. Lot. If family comes over, friends come over, they're cooking deer meat, and they know somebody's coming over, they cook extra. I'd bet at least a deer a year that goes to people that we cook for. Yeah. At least. You know, at least a whole deer. Um, But, I I mean, we give some to our, you know, like our hunting camp neighbors and stuff that don't hunt, that like it. We give some to them every year. 
Yeah. That type of thing. But. So, I'm going to save one question for last, but this is the next one. Can smoke and light from a fire scare a deer away or make them nervous? I don't think so. I think the light can't. Like, if there's a an active fire, I feel like that's one thing. But also, smoking your clothes is one of the best scent killers in the in the world. Especially down here where they burn every year somewhere. Yeah. Like, the, our deer are so used to smelling burnt woods that you put smoke on your clothes. That it's a very familiar scent to them. Also... The carbon from the smoke is this, it's activated carbon. It's the same stuff they put in scent blocker. And all you're doing is just coating your clothes in if you stand over a campfire. Yeah. It kills human scent and it, it kills bacteria. Yeah, it just gets you a bunch of dead pine needles and stuff and stack it up and light it on fire. Of course, obviously, in your, if you're at a place, it's legal to start a fire. Yeah and um stand in front of it and smoke yourself down for hunting and just be careful you don't light yourself on fire yeah don't do that that (laughs) that wouldn't feel too good okay what is good question for you again what's a good lifespan on a bowstring it's a quick question depending on how much you shoot it um anywhere between if you shoot a lot lot a year but if you um shoot it just a little bit um i'd say three years max yeah, on any fun. situation, three years max. Yeah. What is an easy way to scout deer and turkeys when you don't have a lot of time? Uh, look, uh, be familiar with your terrain and study GPS and know what type of areas they live in. Yeah, I'd say map scouting and find time. <laughs> find time, yeah. Like, if, if you get a free day, don't put as much into uh, actually trying to find exactly where the deer are. Like, let's say you get a like one free day a month you take that day and you walk as much land as you can and you put as many marks down and then you go through on your map and do plenty of research and look at the look at the topo look at the like the terrain habitat uh edges and stuff that are nearby to what, what the decent stuff you found and if you take off and go on vacation and go hunting for a week you scout four days and hunt three yeah so this, their answer, I figured I'd read it. Pick a good-looking spot and set up. That's what I do a lot. I do that a lot deer hunting. Yeah, <laughs> deer hunting, yeah. yeah. For turkeys, like, For turkeys, you don't have a lot of time, and you can wake up early enough before, like, if, if your work starts at 9, like, 8 or 9, m- most of the time you should have enough time to go out and listen to turkeys on the roost. Yeah, at the very I, least, that'll give you a good. Yeah, I, I mean, if I'm going in completely blind for turkey hunting, I I just find a water and go listen near it. Yeah. Uh, what time of year is best to plant a food plot? Uh, uh down best, here. Best case scenario, you got a you've got food year round, so like you plant in the spring and the fall. Yeah, I mean, what are you talking? At that question, are you talking? Are you talking what's the best time to go from summer plots to winter plots? That's what that's what I was hoping to answer because the best case scenario, you plant in like March, April with like some sort of, or even February around here with like some sort of clover or some sort of uh, clay peas or something like that, Yeah. which I, I don't do that. I'm just saying that's the best case scenario. And then you plant in what, sep- late September, early October, with your fall plots uh we plant being down here we plant usually our both season comes in october 15th we either plant that weekend or the weekend after 
Yeah. Typically. So, with... That's not a very good... This, what is it? This question is not a very good question for us because we hunt in the South, but it says what it... Basically says, since humans go to the extreme to stay warm during cold weather, what does a deer do? Beds up. Or moves Extreme cold weather. Extreme cold weather? They I'm talking like Saskatchewan. Uh, they move a lot, don't they? I get... Yeah, because like, I, I remember hearing... My dad told me a story of one of his co-workers that hunted in Canada like once every couple years or whatever. And he said up there that the deer didn't start moving until it got like negative 30 or something crazy. I don't know if that was the exact thing, but it was like crazy low temperatures. Then every deer would be on their feet. They're also talking about 250, 300 pound deer too at that point. So. Yeah. And I know around here, like when we've had snow and stuff and like ice storms, a lot of times you don't see many deer during that. And frost. Uh, so if it's a thick frost, uh, deer typically aren't going to use it to the frost melt that burns off. So you, uh, if you know it's going to frost, you can afford to be late going into your stand. Yeah. Our, I feel like our deer down here during extreme cold, I don't know exactly what they do. I just know they're, they don't, they're not uh, out and about near as much as they normally would be. No, I mean. They may be moving a lot, but they stay in a thicker cover. That It's one thing you hear a lot more from Midwest hunters is uh, thermal cover, like thick cedars up there, I think. And like just stuff like that, I feel like it's just kind of the same around here. When it gets that extreme cold for us, which is like twenty five degrees. Well, and uh, I mean, extreme cold for us is like twenty and below. We get we yeah. get those some, but like I feel like from twenty five to thirty two degrees, you're gonna have good deer movement, mm-hmm. and then from about. Th- well, let's say about 25 to 35 you're gonna have good deer movement and then from 35 to 55 is what i think down here is your peak deer movement temperatures especially if it's like a cold front and it's like in the like the highs in the 65 range mm-hmm. and then the next day like cold front comes through hopefully at night usually or that best case scenario it comes through at night and then you wake up the next morning and it's like 32 degrees and the high is like 50 mm-hmm. that is those are money days around here because it's not so cold that it shocks the deer into like bedding up in the thickest nastiest thermal cover but it's still colder than normal so it gets them on their feet and both season um is like 85 degrees any any anything cooler than normal during bow season is great yeah for us and the deer they're ready for a break too yeah so just be ready if you had never bow hunted okay yeah this is uh this is gonna be our last question i believe are you sure yeah that's all you sent me well i mean there's a couple i left out but this is i feel like it's a good one ended on it says the question is my city cousin asked me what is so addicted to so many hunters about waking up early, freezing your butt off, and waiting alone in the woods just for an opportunity to shoot a deer? That's hard for me to put in words. Same. Everything. I, I don't know what I would do with my life if it wasn't for hunting. Yeah, it's like... I don't I'd know probably how, have more money. Yeah, for sure. 
But I have probably twenty grand in the bank. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 only the only thing I can say to that is take them hunting. Yeah. Don't take them on a don't take them on a miserable day. Take them on a good constant day. Take them hunting, and hopefully you see some deer. But if not, if so, if you can't enjoy being out in the woods in peace and quiet, watching either the earth wake up or the earth go to sleep, then you don't have any business being there. There's, yeah, there's something wrong. With I mean, for me, there's it's just the simple fact that I love being in the woods as well as it's such a reward when you've worked so hard for something and it finally comes... Like you can you can apply that to literally anything. If if you work super super hard for something and it finally comes together and works out, but imagine all that hard work instead of it like slowly coming together like a lot of projects or something. Imagine it all happening at once, and all the adrenaline and the happiness and the excitement from getting this thing that you work so hard for happening at one precise moment, and all the pressure to make sure that you do everything right and then knowing that if you did everything right it's a it's better than like if a coyote killed a deer or if cold killed a deer or if anything disease or anything and then knowing that if you did everything right it's going to be quick it's going to be fast and you're going to get 50 pounds of meat of good clean beautiful delicious meat it's just so many things. Yeah, I mean, so everybody that, I mean, 99% of the people that listen or watch this have driven a vehicle really fast. And driving a vehicle really fast or whatever even seems fast to you gives you an adrenaline rush. Uh, but it it's not like it's a pure adrenaline rush. So take that, amplify it by 50, and that's what you feel after shooting a deer. As, as your dopamine levels go through the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if that is just a bonus. If you can't enjoy being out there in the woods, it's not going to be for you. If you have to kill something every time you go out, you're wasting your time. Find a new hobby. Just go fishing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I waste a lot more time fishing than I do hunting. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth. But fishing's fun. It's fun. It's, it keeps you active. It's fun. It takes a special fish to give you an adrenaline rush right mm-hmm. you can catch you know, if you're largemouth fishing you can catch two three pounders all day long you're not going to really get a, a adrenaline rush out of that if you catch like a seven eight you might you might get that oh, adrenaline rush going if i catch but, like a big big fish especially like if i catch one on like finesse tackle yeah. or like even like a fly rod or something that's the closest i feel because it's like i like after i caught that one six pounder on a on a wacky rig i felt like i was literally shaking for a few minutes i didn't know what to do however 
it still wasn't anything that compared to shooting a buck with a bow. But you can go out there and shoot a two and a half year old doe and feel that. And feel this it better than if I caught a five six pound bass. Yeah. On a yeah. spinning rod. It's it's there's not a feeling on earth like it. No. Uh, I haven't felt the only thing to me personally that trumps shooting a deer with a bow is shooting a turkey in the face. It's the only thing to me that feels better. Uh I don't know what is wrong it's, with you. Turkey is a close second. You're wrong, but okay. I'll let I'll let it slide for the podcast. Yeah, but no, you're wrong. I'm, I'm, your opinion's I'm, wrong. That's all I got to say about it. And it's my opinion. It's your opinion. Opinions can be wrong. It's man. also no. Well, not okay. really. So that's Whatever. the difference between <laughs> somebody that is raised solely deer hunting and somebody that is raised primarily turkey hunting. Now, I did a lot more deer hunting growing up. Yeah, but that's because the seasons are a lot longer. Yeah, that's yeah, literally it. That's it. Yeah. Um, I did find out there were more questions on there, but none of them were. The first ones that we did were way better than the last, like, four on the thing you sent me. If you want to see the rest of the questions, just Google that, and it ought, what it said in the front. It ought to pop up. a comment and if you want to see us finish this list out. Or, Aaron, um leave your own comment or go on youtube if you're not on youtube and comment on any of our videos asking us questions and you know maybe we'll fill it out in a podcast that's probably the best chance for y'all to get questions answered by us is through podcast yeah and we answer questions through comments but a lot of times we can't like actually say everything that we that that question needs to be needs to have answered there's there is a character cap that you can type on this stuff on comments and some things just can't be explained properly with text it's a lot easier to it's a lot easier to explain what you're saying through words and enunciation in your words than typing it out yeah so leave your comments down below ask us i mean ask us questions and maybe we'll do a full q a podcast soon now I do know that I told y'all that Kurt would have been in the next one. The last time I talked, um, Kurt came in contact. He he doesn't have it, but he came in as of yet. He came in contact with COVID, and uh, so we're having to put his on postpone as he goes through a slight quarantine before he gets tested. So he's still coming up. We're still gonna do it, but at, at, unfortunately postponed for the moment. Speaking of that, I don't know why that made me think of about it, but I had a video that I posted recently of changing the wheel bearing. Most of it was changing the wheel bearing on my truck, and then there was some of it that that involved me straightening out my catfish bush hooks limb lines. And that video went through the normal YouTube checks and got flagged. Yeah. Didn't even have any music in the video except for like the intro and outro. Which we know is good because you yeah, can every video. Every video. And because I know they, they, they'll flag, a lot of times YouTube will flag stuff that talks about the C word, the big C, big Rona. Yeah. Corvus. But the, the Chinese virus. Yeah. It'll, the YouTube will flag a lot of that stuff, but I didn't even mention that. I didn't mention anything. I literally just took my wheel off, swapped a thing, put my wheel back on, and then talked about rope with a hook on the end that's it 
and it got flagged. Yeah. YouTube's weird. It's weird. Oh, that's that was another thing we talked about in that one podcast. We didn't know what to call the the last pod or the podcast is, was that I posted recently. We did talk about YouTube and hunting and stuff, like how YouTube responds to it. But anyway, that doesn't matter for this one. It doesn't. But we appreciate y'all listening or watching or both. And uh, y'all stay tuned for more. We uh, remember to check out nativesensellc.com. There is custom bowstrings and our hats on our, and decals on our website. Hopefully we'll have some more merch type stuff soon. We're working on it. It's almost impossible right now because of that there virus we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, but we can't get anything. I've been wanting to come out with a new um patriot hat and um uh, can't do it can't order them just it's impossible right now we've got another project we want to work on with a local other business like kind of a collab thing and that's just you know cost money and stuff yeah and also yeah yeah covid and all it's almost impossible to get things done right now but y'all stay tuned for more hopefully we'll be back pretty soon with y'all um we're trying to do these once a week it's uh, going to get harder when he goes back to school, but hopefully we'll figure something up. You need to get Zoom set up in here somehow. you got to find the internet in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's hard to do. You know how hard it is to run? That's one thing I'd like to mention. Do y'all guys have any idea how hard it is to run a social media um, network, YouTube, and podcast without any internet at your house? Yeah, it just makes me do it all. <laughs> shoot <laughs> i do i do it all uh yeah you can't even edit right now because your laptop's messed up and it's no, my, my fault my edit <laughs> my laptop works fine it just won't take videos off my cell phone thanks apple oh yeah you did film it on your cell phone yeah i filmed it on my cell phone because i tried it and it worked and then when i'd actually used it for video now i can't get it off i mean i download an editing app and figure out how to work it on my phone but i don't know or google drive I'll, I'll show you after the podcast. Yeah. But. We appreciate y'all watching. Y'all stay tuned and always always remember, remember to live, live life, life 25, 25 high. high.